0: Reading this morning from Isaiah 60, 1 through 7. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth, shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house.
1: Amen. Thanks, Laura. Good morning. I well remember heading off to college as a freshman. I'd grown up in a small town in Oregon, and that was all I knew, lived all my life there. Headed to the San Francisco Bay Area in California. Hadn't done a college visit. So as I'm driving across the Dumbarton Bridge, which is less than two miles long, I got about halfway across. And I looked back and I looked forward and I could not see either shore because of the smog. And I thought, what am I doing here? (laughs) I felt like I was in a whole other world, a whole other Universe. Have you noticed that as our society moves further and further into being a post Christian culture, the less and less we who are followers of Jesus feel like we fit? More and more, we feel like we're kind of a round peg in a square hole. We don't, we just don't fit in this world anymore. We could talk about a lot of different areas, but I just want to highlight one, and that's the whole Gender situation in our world as the world tries to say there are no male and female, it just all gets blended together. Here's what our children experience out in the world. In 2014, the Vancouver School Board instructed teachers to replace he and she with Xi, him and her with Xem, and his or hers with Xer. In a slight variation on this, the University of Iowa has more recently opted for Z, Zem, and Zer. Numerous other schools and colleges are fast following suit with various alternative sets of pronouns. Going a step further, the City University in New York announced the introduction of a policy not only banning all gendered titles and salutations, but banning all pronouns completely. Students and staff are all to be referred to only by their first and last names. That's what our world's moving towards. Of course, it begins in the universities, but it spreads throughout the culture. And, for example, those who advocate for a traditional marriage, you know, husband, wife, children in the home, (laughs) those who advocate for that are seen more and more in our culture as intolerant, as haters, as prejudiced, as judgmental, watching the news, watching TV shows, going to movies, reading blogs. If you're a follower of Jesus, more and more, it feels like we're living in a foreign land where we don't even speak the same language. z <laughs> And it's only going to get worse, brothers and sisters, as our culture moves more and more into a post-Christian world. So how can we, as followers of Jesus, who who want to reflect him to the world, how can we live out our faith in a way that truly brings glory to God and advances his kingdom in the world? What are we called to? Well, that's really a major theme of these last few chapters in the book of Isaiah. It's written to the people of Israel who have come back from exile, and they're now in the land of Israel, but they are under Persian domination, which gets replaced by Greek domination, (laughs) which gets replaced by Roman domination. And then they get kicked out of the land for 2,000 years until 1948. So under those circumstances, Isaiah challenges the people to live in a way that really makes a difference for the kingdom of God, even when you're living in a foreign land under foreign domination. So in these last few chapters, he gives a grand vision. I love this visual that we just put up about the new heavens and new earth. The community he wants to create in us. But these last few chapters are, are a mixture of what we are to live out now and what we have to look forward to in the future. Isaiah's message is this. There is a way to live as an outpost of the kingdom of God, even in a place that's under foreign rain. <laughs> and that's the message we need to hear today, isn't it? How do we live out our faith? in the kind of world that we live in. Now, the church has always struggled with that. Sometimes culture has been more supportive of our Christian faith and sometimes less, but mostly throughout history, it's been antagonistic, hostile. And the church has responded in different ways, that many of which are not very helpful. Let me highlight three ways the church has responded in a wrong way, I believe, throughout history. One is isolationism. You know, kind of being a hermit, hiding out from the world. It's dangerous out there, so I'll just surround myself by only Christians, and I will never engage with the world at all. I don't believe that's what we're called to. How can we impact the world for Jesus if that's how we're living? So I don't think isolation is our calling. Another response of many, uh, many Christians to a foreign culture world has been assimilation. And this is where we just kind of blend in. But how can our light shine in the darkness if we just look like everybody else around us and we're not living an alternative lifestyle, a Christian lifestyle? So I don't believe assimilation is what we're called to. A third response of the church throughout history has been domination. The medieval church had power and control. The moral majority a few years back wanted to control what was happening in society and get get the power in, in culture and in the political realm. But I don't believe that works either because when you do that, you end up using the tools of the world and the church becomes corrupt. That's what's happened always throughout history. So if those aren't proper responses, isolation, assimilation, or domination, then what are we called to? Well, I believe... The Bible says there's a different way. And Jesus summarized it this way. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. But to live as the light of the world, we need to catch a vision for what that means. What does it really mean? We've all heard that. But what does it mean to live as the light of the world in a way that will allow us to be God's people and reflect him in an increasingly dark world? So let's pray, and then let's look at Isaiah 60 together. Lord, as we approach this passage that shows us what it means to, to live as the light of the world in the middle of the darkness, I pray that your Spirit would open our eyes, that we might catch a grand vision of what you have for us as your people in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passages Laura just read begins this way. Arise, shine, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Isaiah begins this whole chapter with a command, two commands actually. Rise and shine. <laughs> I heard this from my mom a lot when I was a teenager. Rise and shine! It's time for school! That's what Isaiah is trying to do, is arouse the people of God. To arouse us. Come on, get up! And shine. Shine. But what does that mean? What does it look like to shine? Well, we are, we'll are. explore that somewhat this week, but next week as we go on to Isaiah 61, we'll, we'll explore it even more. We will begin it today, but... I want to notice just a few key truths that are important for us to grasp just in this first couple of verses. Number one, he says the world around us is darkness. It's darkness. So understand that the Bible expects us to not fit very well in this world. We're not supposed to be comfortable. (laughs) We're supposed to feel out of place. See, the world has different ways of thinking than believers do different values than believers do. They follow a different Lord than believers do either self or along with self, the God of this world, Satan himself. That's who they follow, whether they know it or not. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ that we follow. We follow him. We trust him. We walk with him. And so in this dark world, that's going its own way, the world desperately, desperately needs light so it won't keep stumbling around in the dark and bumping into the coffee table and bumping into walls and getting confused and more and more lost and more and more dark see the lord has created this world as a moral universe and if you aren't living in line with the moral universe he created then you're going to be in the dark and you're going to be stumbling and that's where the world around us is So first of all, we can see that the world around us is darkness. Secondly, we shine in the darkness. We arise and shine not because of any light in us, but because of the Lord's light shining on us. See that in those couple of verses? The Lord Lord shines on us. The glory of the Lord has arisen upon us. It's his glory that shines on us. In other words, it's his life in us. That shines. It's not our righteousness. It's not us doing it right. It's not us looking good that causes us to shine. I think this is very important for us to understand. I think this is um, implied where Jesus describes this whole shining and uh, the light that he gives us, where in cha- Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, where he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, it may sound like, Oh, well, yeah, it's because we do good works that." Our light shines. But notice what he says. So, you're, so you may, the world may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, it's because his life is being lived through us. It's because of his light on us, being reflected on us. That's why he gets the glory, because people look at us and they say, huh, it's not them, it must be God. We're like the moon. For example, the moon reflects the light. It has no light in itself. The only reason we can see it is because it faces the sun and reflects the light of the sun towards us. And that's exactly what we are to be. Keep our face towards him, towards Jesus. And as we draw near to him and build our relationship with him, then his light gets reflected to others around us in ways that we aren't even aware of. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 in a wonderful way. As he says, the end of uh, chapter 3, and we, verse 18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, <laughs> like the moon facing him, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But, he goes on to say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see how God planned it? I'm going to take people that are weak and struggling, They're jars of clay and they've got cracks, you know, they're vulnerable, they don't handle life real well. I'm going to put my life in them. The light's going to shine through those cracks. And who gets the glory? Not us. He does. That's his plan. It's okay to not have it together. <laughs> That's his plan. We're weak, but he shines through us as we focus on him. The staff is reading a book together called The Imperfect Pastor. I can relate to this book. (laughs) And Zach Eswine says this, Throughout the Gospels, we consistently observe Jesus teaching theology in the midst of the psych ward. (laughs) He sat his apprentices, the disciples, down in the emergency room, as it were. He introduced them to ghastly sights, grieved sounds, and rank aromas of actual human people in their diseases, their wrestling with demons, their disputes, their poverty, and their loss of spouses. He brought them near to ethnic prejudices, injustices, anxieties, and traumas, not to mention the joys and pleasures and delights and longings of ordinary human beings. Jesus' disciples learned about God in the context of bodily life situations that actually exist in the world, the sensory ramifications of an under-the-sun reality. We live in a world that's struggling and dark and difficult, and, but that's where we learn about God, and that's how the world learns about God, is even as we struggle, uh, but we keep facing him, and depending on him and growing in him, our light shines. This week was the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr. He was a man who lived against the culture because of his Christian faith. He sought to stand against the oppression of the day, but he did it in a way that he lived out peaceful protest according to his Christian faith. He was killed by a culture that hated him and what he stood for, and yet His light shone in the darkness, and it, I think, shines even brighter today than it did then. What's our part to shine? What's our part? How do we shine in the darkness? Well, I want to highlight one thing, and that is that this is written to the nation of Israel as a group, as a community. And so we individually must stay close to Jesus... But we also must stay close in community. It's through the community, the people of God together, learning to rub shoulders and love one another and hang in there and keep seeking Jesus and gathering together in times like this to worship God together, to seek his face, to honor him. As we, as we do this as a community, then our collective light shines as well as our individual light He shines right through us. Uh, What a wonderful verse in Acts chapter 4 where it says in verse 13 as Peter and John were brought before the Pharisees, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And then this, And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were common, uneducated, nothing special about these guys. But when people looked at them, <laughs> they recognized they'd been with Jesus. See, that's God's plan for you and me is that as we depend on Jesus, people would recognize we've been Jesus, with Jesus and he would get the glory. So as he goes on in the chapter now, given the command arise and shine. Isaiah now gives Israel and to us a, a picture, a vision of the future, a picture of what God wants to do here on earth and in the future as we depend on him and as we let our light shine. Verse 3 through 14. In verse 3, he says, first of all, that the nations will be drawn to the light. Verse 3, the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of Of your rising, and he says that several times in the verses that follow. The nations, the people around us in the world will be drawn to your light. Three weeks ago, we prayed for my sister. My brother in law, my sister had been in Boise, we're headed back to Oregon. That night, as they're driving, they went off the road, rolled the car, and they're sitting in the middle of nowhere. In a car that's sideways, rolled several times. My sister's back was broken. My brother-in-law didn't know how to get out of the car. He couldn't open the door. The windows wouldn't open. So he started kicking on the windshield. And as he kicked through, finally made a hole in the windshield. He finally made it big enough that he could crawl through. But he's in the middle of nowhere. So as he's there, he's beat up, he's bruised. He starts looking around. And he sees a light. So he started hiking to the light. One light in the darkness. Finally got up there, pounded on the door. The guy comes to the door with a gun in his hand. You're in Eastern Oregon, you know. (laughs) The guy didn't know who was pounding on his door. Very interesting that my brother-in-law knew him. And when he recognized him, he immediately called 911 and got them the help they need. They needed. My sister's doing fine, by the way, after her back surgery. So the world, as it gets more desperate, as they struggle more, as the darkness gets deeper around us, as the smog gets thicker, the world around us will be looking for a light somewhere. Where can I get help? Where do I go? Is there a light shining among the unbelievers you know? Are you a light that's shining in the darkness? Are you the kind of person that when they're hurting, they'll think of you? They'll think, oh, Sue or Bobby or Denise or Darren or Tom or put in your own name. That's a person I can trust to help me. And when they come, when they come to you for help, do you meet them with a gun of judgmentalism? Oh, you've lived a messed up life. You're, you're a Muslim. You're ungodly. Sorry. Or do you throw open the door? and say, I want you to know the love of Jesus. He's changed my life. (laughs) He's poured grace on me, and there's enough grace for you, too. You see, God wants us to welcome them, whoever them is, (laughs) with open arms so that he'll be seen in us. I've had the opportunity to be part of a number of funerals in recent years and a lot this year already. But one of the things I love about being part of the community here among us and is seeing how people come alongside those who have lost loved ones. And as we have a service and our funeral meals, people gather together to provide a meal or reception and We gather around the home. The unbelieving family members get to see the light of Christ shine. I love that because it's an opportunity to rub shoulders and for them to see something different. And I so often hear from people who don't know Jesus. Wow. You guys really love each other, don't you? That's the way it should be, isn't it? So he says, first of all, if your light is shining, you're you're keeping your face toward Jesus, you're growing as a community to depend on Jesus and trust him, first of all, the nations will be drawn to that light. Secondly, he says, your family will begin to expand. (laughs) I like the way he puts it in verse 4. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. He's talking about new, new birth, right? New babies. So as people are drawn to the light, people are starting to come to Christ and and we get all this new life in the family of God. Our family expands and we, you and I, get the opportunity to love people that are very different from us. And that's exactly as it should be. That's God's plan for the kingdom of God. It's a glorious picture. We get to love people with all their quirks and bad habits and differences. I Like the way Steve Evans, who prayed this morning, says it in a devotional daily devotional he puts out recently, he said this: "We may not speak the same language, and we certainly do not all look the same or practice life in the same style and manner, but all people can know the same God, and we can recognize his creative hand in and on each of us. Humanity, in the aggregate of all that we are, is the full and the nearly total picture of that image of God in which we were formed and shaped. We are no longer identified as Jews and Gentiles, Asian, African, or Caucasian, male or female, native-born or foreigner, or by any other of our myriad divisions and differences. In Christ, we've been brought near to God. So we have also been brought by Christ to share a common table of grace and to speak the same language of peace. What a great description of the church as your family expands. And then third, in verses 5 through 14, he gives all these descriptions of the nations coming, but as they come, they bring their wealth. The foreigners are all coming to be part of the family of God and they bring their gifts. Verse 6, it says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. It's these caravans bringing wonderful gifts from the east. And I like how it says, They shall bring gold and frankincense. Just like the Magi came from the east, on camels, most likely. To bring their gifts to the newborn Christ is a picture of this very thing that God wants the nations to come and bring their wealth for the people of God. Gold and frankincense. doesn't mention myrrh, which is for burial, for sorrow. So the nations will come from the east in their camel caravans. Then it says, verse 8 and 9, the ships will come from the west. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. He describes people from the east, people from the west, the ships coming over the Mediterranean, all headed towards the people of God in Israel, which... I believe also applies to us as people come from all over the world and they bring with them their gifts. Here it looks very physical, but I think as our people of God, as the community grows and the family of God grows, people bring their giftedness and their hearts for God and we all get enriched by their gifts that they bring. It's a wonderful thing that he has given us. But notice verse 10 and 11. Foreigners shall come. They'll come from all over. For in my wrath I struck you, the end of verse 10, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. The people, the people may bring you the wealth of the nations with their kings in procession. What he's describing is that they'll come, but why will they come? Because of the mercy of God on us. Because they'll see his grace on us and they will come and bring what they have to enrich the family of God, the people of God. That's God's plan. Now, this is future, yes, but it's also the kingdom of God invading the world now. And that's what I want us to catch a vision of, that we can be the light of the world now and begin to experience the kingdom of God lived out and fulfilled now. Like Israel, we've sinned, we're a mess, but God is gracious and forgiven And as the world sees that, that is attractive to the world. It's not our goodness that draws people. It's the grace of God upon us. And then he gets glorified as a result. What a wonderful picture. Then he goes on in the last few verses. And I just want to highlight some things to talk about the impact on us. How does it impact us? What what do we get to experience as we just keep our light shining in the midst of this world. And yeah, we go through difficulty and we struggle and fail at times because we're still in the world. But what will will we experience? Verse 15. First of all, I think joy. (laughs) Whereas you've been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. The joy that the whole world's looking for and seeking and wanting to find some place where they can find a deep sense of joy, God gives it as a gift as we keep our eyes on him, as we learn to depend on him. Verse 16, You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. Interesting metaphor, isn't it? (laughs) He's describing being nurtured by the world around us, blessed by the nations, nurtured and cared for a beautiful picture, I think, of what life is meant to be in community as we get unity with the nations and people from all over and the, this diverse world, you know, that the church really should be the most diverse community on earth because God calls people from every community. And as we learn to experience that, we experience the nurturing and the life that is shared among us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the end of verse 16, you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. We also end up finding ourselves becoming more and more intimate with God himself, knowing him more and more as our Savior, as our peace and our Redeemer. Our intimacy with God will grow and our light will shine brighter. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love this picture goes on in verse 17 to say this, another interesting analogy. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stone, iron. And then he says this, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. One of the truths about every human being is that we have taskmasters, bosses, that only do us harm. Why? Because we're separated from God in our own selves, and so we trust other things, and we end up finding taskmasters that only do us harm. Who's our boss? Is it self? Is it addiction? Is it pleasure? Is it all the things that can never really fulfill us? But he says, I want you to get a vision that as you depend on me, what you'll find is that your boss, your taskmaster, will be shalom, peace. Righteousness, that's who you'll depend on, which is what we all long for. Verse 18, violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Imagine living in a community, a home or a city. He talks about having walls where there is absolutely no violence, no conflict. In fact, what you experience is salvation and praise of God. And you begin to experience the fullness of who he is and his love, far beyond what you've ever experienced before. The growth group leader's guide for this week, I thought, had an amazing, wonderful statement in a commentary on these verses where the writer says this. Throughout these verses, we see God's overflowing love for his people. It's like the love of a groom for his bride that he's deeply in love with. There's nothing too good to express his love and care for her. It's the same love that exists between the father and the son. The Lord, who has been speaking to his people through Isaiah, can no longer hold back and uses the first-person pronoun to tell them what he will do for them because of his great love for them. What a marvelous picture of his love for us that he wants us to know and experience. And then, verse 19 and 20, the Lord will be our light. As we look at him and let his light reflect off of us, Depend on him, he becomes more and more our light. Verse 19, the sun shall no more, shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the, your days of mourning shall be ended. This is an amazing picture, and and of course it's future, and I'll read the passage that parallels this and repeats this in Revelation in a moment, but just think for a minute about a world in which the, the barrier between heaven and earth is gone in such a way that heaven breaks through and you're experiencing the light of God constantly. So you don't even need the earthly lights anymore, the sun or the moon, because you're so in his presence is this future? Yes. But I think, again, it's meant to be a picture of what we are to be experiencing even now. And of course, it'll be fully fulfilled in heaven. And we see that in the book of Revelation as John picks up this very, very concept. And I'm sure he's thinking of the same passage in Isaiah as he wrote this Revelation 21, verse 22. See how he's just making a commentary on this whole chapter of Isaiah 60. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And in the end, verse 21, your people shall all be righteousness. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I, Yahweh, might be glorified God will change us as we gaze upon him, as He, we see his light. He transforms us, but not so we get the praise, but that he gets glorified. We don't have to change ourselves. It's not by working hard to be good. It's by depending on him, and the more we learn to depend on him and let his life flow through us, the more he changes us so that he ultimately, again, gets the glory. A final comment by the commentator on this passage, John Oswald, I think he says it well. God shines through us when his ethical life is reproduced in us by his grace. When we lay down our pride in submission to him, when we put the good of others ahead of our own religious accomplishments, and when we live lives that embody his truth and justice, then Where there had been darkness, there will be light. A light that's not our own, but reflects the glory that the Trinity shared before the beginning of time. This latter point, he says, should be underlined. Just as the Christian enters into a relationship with God by his grace alone, so the Christian reflects God's glory to the world only by means of his divine grace. Only as the life of God is graciously reproduced in us is it reproduced at all so what does it mean for us what does God call us to do to be in this dark world to shine, to be a light to be the light of the world where God becomes visible as we depend on him how do we do that? Stay close to Jesus. Be like the vine and the branches. Plug into the vine. We are the branches. Stay close to him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Keep facing him so his light can reflect off us into the dark world. And then, as verse 4 says, lift your eyes and see. Open your eyes and watch God work. (laughs) Because God's at work. Even in this dark world everywhere, if you just have eyes... To see, watch what he's doing in the world and highlight that. You know, the world is a mess. <laughs> it's getting darker and darker in our culture. It's it's wrecked, it's rolling. And at some point people are more and more going to be looking around somewhere. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the smog, they're going to be looking for a light. Somewhere where they can find life and begin to know God. So the question for us today is, are we shining? Are we being what God calls us to be? The light of the world, and when they come, do we throw open the door and say, welcome, I've got grace to share with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you Thank you for this amazing passage that reminds us of what we are to be in this world, that we are to be the light of the world. Lord, if there's things that are hiding our light, keeping us from shining individually and as a community, may you please deal with those that we might be a place where the nations are drawn, where they will look and say, that's where the light is. That's where I want to be.